Now, as you're turning there, I want to start off a little bit different. Uh, just by a show of hands, how many of you feel pretty confident that you have John 3.16 memorized? Okay, I have a lot of candidates. Keep those hands up, please. Uh, could I get, if you have raised your hand, can I get three volunteers, without looking at it, to say John 3.16 and say it like you believe it? Ellie, you want to say it? Eli and Noah, okay? All kids, great. Okay, I'll, in that order, okay? One at a time, stand up, say it like you mean it. Thank you very much. Eli, you're up next. Thank you. Noah? Oh, thank you guys so much. Uh, all right, can we all read this together? Oh, all read it together. John three sixteen, as it's printed out, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, I asked who was pretty confident they had memorized this verse and a lot of you raised your hand. Now, if so many of you already know this verse, why go over it again? Well, that's a great question. First of all, I would answer it this way. Don't assume that everyone in this room knows John 3.16. Not even people out there. Don't assume that people know John 3.16. They might see this verse plastered on uh, posters at a football game, but that doesn't mean they've actually gone home and looked up John 3.16 for themselves. So don't assume. But everybody raised their hand and... So we asked, why cover this if so many people know it already? We're at church. People at church know John 3.16. Well, think of it like your commute to work. I'll tell you mine. My commute to work, my commute here goes like this. I turn left on Fowles Road, uh, and then I get to Pearl Road, and I turn left again. Uh, and then I get to Bagley Road, and I turn right. I'm going to stick on Bagley for a while. Uh, so I go past West 130th. It's now Pleasant Valley. I go past York. I go past Ridge. And then I get to State Road, and I turn left. And then I pass Stancato's. I pass, I pass Padua, and I pass AutoZone. And then I turn right onto Grantwood Drive. And eventually, I turn right into this building, the place where the church at West Creek meets. That's my commute to work. Now, I wonder if, you're, if you've ever been like me, and maybe it's your workplace or a place you've been forever, and uh, you drive there, but you realize, I don't even remember driving as I got here, <laughs> right? It's kind of scary, isn't it? You were practically asleep at the wheel. I think John 3.16 is a little like that. John 3.16 is a very familiar route. Today, would you make a deal with me? that you would keep your eyes open and don't be asleep at the wheel. And you may be surprised at what you see. Now we're gonna break John 3.16 into three parts, okay? It's just gonna be at each comma in the translation we looked at. So first part, for God so loved the world, we'll call that God's love. Second part, that he gave his only son, we'll call that God's gift. And third part, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, we'll call that God's promise, okay? Three parts. First, God's love, for God so loved the world. Now, most people treat John 3.16 in isolation, and this is a verse as good as any that could stand on its own two legs very well. 
But the way this verse begins indicates it comes within a larger presentation. So if you just look at what comes previous to John 3.16, you'll appreciate it more in light of the context. Jesus has been talking to a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Pharisees were religious authorities in the day. Nicodemus would have been respected. Nicodemus would have been recognized as a moral, decent, respectable man. Jesus explains to Nicodemus, all right, Nicodemus, here's how you can get into heaven. Jesus stresses, you don't get get into heaven uh, by what you do. And that surprises Nicodemus because Nicodemus, well, he's done a lot of pretty good things. Instead, Jesus stresses, Nicodemus, you get into heaven only if something is done for you. The Holy Spirit must transform your heart. And I, the Son of God, must come down from heaven and be lifted up on the cross in your place. Something must be done for you. John 3.16 follows up on that and provides a clarification and even a correction. This whole business of work being done for you and me, whether that's the Holy Spirit transforming our hearts or the Son of God dying in our place, this whole business of work being done for you and me, who, who got that started? Whose idea was it? Who got the whole ball rolling, so to speak? John 3.16 clarifies. This hasn't happened because the world so loved God, but because God so loved the world. You know, I think that can correct how you and I think about God and even how you and I think about ourselves. The factory default setting of your heart is something like this, that however even subtly, that I need to prove my love for God in order to get God to love me back. You act as if God is like Santa Claus, that he only loves those who have done enough to be put on his nice list. Now, when you think like that, that, and that means that there's no hope for people who are on the naughty list. And just a hint, like we just read a few minutes ago, that should be everyone if they're honest. When you think that you have to love God in order to get him to love you back, well, friend, that puts you on a hamster's wheel, ever ever chasing the cheese of God's love. And it's always just out of reach. And when you slip up, it is devastating. Not just that. When you think that you need to prove your love for God in order to get him to love you back, well, that's a way of putting God in your debt. It's a way of making God owe you. You do good things not for God himself. You do good things so that God will do good back to you. Maybe you're like me. This is, this is why you get mad at God. Bad things happen in your life. You tell God something like this. God, I'm, I'm a good, decent person. What gives? I don't deserve something like this. I do all these things for you. and God, this is what I get in return. You want to get God to owe you. This verse clarifies. It corrects. It's not that the world so loved God and then God loved the world. It's that God so loved the world. It's not that God was up in heaven, all strict, hard to please. And the world finally did enough to twist God's arm and make him obligated to love it. No, God doesn't love the world because of its goodness. God loves the world despite its badness. This word John uses for world doesn't just highlight how big the world is. It highlights how bad the world is. In another place, John uses this word, and he says that your love for God and your love for the world, they just can't go together. 
Because this word represents the world's mentality. It's the mentality that says, I live for me, and I don't live for the one who made me. So in this way, John 3.16 is saying this whole business of Christmas, this whole business of God the Son coming down from heaven to rescue people, to do for them what they couldn't do for themselves. All this got started because God loved the world that wanted nothing to do with him. Around here, we regularly sing a song called All I Have is Christ. And there's one line that this reminds me of, and we just sing this with wonder and with amazement every time. It goes like this. It says, I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. Here's the good news. God loves us first. That brings us to the second part of John 3:16, and that's God's gifts. So let's go back to the verse. We'll read it again. God so loved the world that he felt something? No. God so loved the world that he gave. God knows just like you and me that it's not just the thought that counts. God knows like you and me that love is more than a feeling, that love is a verb, it's an action. So the way that God loved the world is that he gave. So on this familiar route of John 3, 16, I want you to stop and stare at just this word, give. Give is different than sold. God's love is not a transaction. This verse doesn't say, God so loved the world that, you know, he gave the world an opportunity. He said, world, you can buy my love for 10 trips to the soup kitchen, for weekly church attendance, and for the occasional dollar bill in the Salvation Army bucket outside of Walmart. No, God's love is not a transaction. It's a gift. I'm pretty sure it was Jonathan Cameron from Parkside Church a couple of weeks ago who reminded us of this. Uh, So just think of it this way. Tomorrow morning, everybody's giving an opening presence, right? So we plan to give our nephew uh, the game Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Do you guys remember that? Uh, little robots doing this thing. You battle each other out. He's six years old. I think he's going to be really excited for it. I can't wait to see him open it. Now imagine if he unwraps this gift and he starts to play with it. He's all excited and then something hits him. He reaches down into his pocket and he pulls out a wad of cash. and says, you know, Uncle Steve, uh, how much do I owe you for this gift? It would be kind of devastating, wouldn't it? To think that, buddy, you don't have to pay. You don't have to buy my love. This is a gift. You've misunderstood. God so loved the world that he gave. And it gets even better. (laughs) He gave his only son. John includes this word only, I think, to establish the value of this gift. God doesn't have a Costco warehouse filled with sons. Jesus is the one and only Son, capital S, of the Father, begotten, not made. So from all eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have delighted in one another's fellowship in perfect, loving community. So God so loved the world, not that he gave his spare, not that he gave his leftovers, but that he gave his best. And you put part one and part two of John 3, 16 together, it's just a stunning picture. God gave his best to no one who could be worse. So my friend, if you ever doubt that God loves you, maybe that's you this morning, just because maybe you feel there aren't a lot of people in my life who love me and the people who claim to love me haven't done a really good job at it. 
If you doubt that God loves you, think here, remember God's gift to you. I'm reminded of uh, the book of Genesis all the way back to Abraham. You might remember, you know, know the story of how God tested Abraham. He says, Abraham sacrificed our only son, and this was no big deal, uh, or it was no small deal, rather, because, you know, this guy was over 90, pushing 100. And here he is, waiting for this son forever, and God says, you've got to give him up. Abraham's getting ready to do it. He brings Isaac to Mount Moriah, trusting that God is going to provide in some way. But as soon as Abraham's about to go through with it, sacrificing Isaac, God stops him. And God says to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. There's one pastor who makes the connection. You can go forward from Mount Moriah to Mount Calvary and stand at the foot of the cross and, uh, and say to God, God, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Part three, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We're calling this God's promise. Now, you'll notice that in the promise, there's a condition. The condition is whoever believes in him. So this tells you that this promise won't benefit everyone, this prom- but this promise is offered to anyone. And coming on the heels of Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, this is very significant. Because this is telling Nicodemus that this promise isn't available just to those who are from Israel. This promise is available to those who are from Ireland and Indonesia and India. Now, while this promise won't benefit everyone, it is offered to anyone. And that must mean that everyone needs it. Everyone needs it. Both the Pharisee and the tax collector. Both the religious do-gooder and the outcast. Both the Democrat and the Republican. Both the young and the old. Both the upper class and the lower class. It's offered to anyone. Everyone needs it. But only those who believe benefit from it. And it makes sense. In order for a gift to be yours, you have to receive it. You have to open it. And for God's son to be yours, you must believe. Now, what does it mean to believe? Because this time of year, that word gets tossed around a lot. To believe in something, is that just to agree in your head that something is real? Well, I'm appreci- I appreciated how Jonathan Schultz illustrated this for us a few months ago. You might believe strongly in your head that the fine people of Rumkey Waste and Recycling will pick up your trash on Tuesday. You can believe that as much as you want, but if that belief stops in your head, your trash is going to stay at your house. Your be- you must demonstrate that belief by taking your trash to the curb. Real belief is more than just good vibes. Real belief is more than just mental agreement. Real belief demonstrates itself with real evidence. In this case, the evidence is a change in how you live and a change in what you love. That you no longer live for yourself. You live for Jesus. You no longer love sin. You love him. But I want to be clear. It's not just whoever believes and that's it, as if this is just a vague faith. It's whoever believes in him. Faith is only as good as its object. And it's not original to me, but let's just say that there's a chair that has four legs and it's clearly, visibly, all these legs are cracked and broken. 
You might believe with all of your heart that this chair can uphold your weight because after all, if you believe in your heart, anything is possible. All your dreams can come true. You can believe in all your heart. When you sit down on that chair, it's gonna break. It's gonna crumble. Faith is only as good as its object. It's not just crucial that you believe. It's crucial that you believe in the right thing. In this case, the only one who can deal with your trash, the only one who can hold the full weight of your guilt and your shame, is Jesus. Believing in him is the condition that must be met in order to benefit from the promise. That promise, it goes like this. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now we quote this a lot, but we can take it for granted that we know what this means. What does it mean? It seems tricky on the surface because there are several people in the Bible who believe in Jesus, but they still die whether that's Stephen or James or Paul or the thief on the cross. So not perishing can't mean that you're spared from physical death. I think it helps to compare John 3.16 with John 11, verse 25, where Jesus says, whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. So not perishing must mean that you won't stay dead, that death won't have the last word on you. But it's not just that. It's not just that you get revived and you get a second chance. No, it says whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This refers to quantity of life. It is life unending. And it refers to quality of life. Jesus says in John 17, three, that eternal life is to know God and the one whom he has sent. That's what it means. But how does this work? How does believing in Jesus work to secure this promise that you won't perish, but that you'll have eternal life? Well, it must work because God didn't just give his son, but he gave his son to do something. Right? We've said that this promise of not perishing and having eternal life is only for those who believe in Jesus. So that must mean that apart from believing in Jesus, you will perish and you'll have the opposite of eternal life. That's the logic of it, isn't it? Don't believe me, just look later on in this same chapter, John 3, 36, where it says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Here's a little bit of added clarity then. The wrath of God is on you. It's on me. And it's not just randomly. It's deservedly. What do we just read about God? When you and I choose our own way instead of God's way, you don't just rebel against a cruel God. What if we just read, you are rebelling against the amazing, loving God. That explains why you and I are subject to death. It explains why you and I are subject to judgment after death. The wrath of God remains on you. And the way the wrath of God is taken off of you is if it's put on someone else. And the only one who can carry it is Jesus, the only sinless one, the only son of God. So for those who believe in him, Jesus took on himself the wrath that was on them. He takes the death that was coming their way. And when you believe in Jesus, the wrath of God no longer remains on you. Now the favor of God remains on you. And that's not all. For those who believe in Jesus, death won't have the last word on you either. 
That's because death didn't have the last word on Jesus. Those who believe in him will rise as Jesus rose. Death won't be the end, it will be a beginning. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the promise. And just real quick, on this familiar route, I want you to stop and stare at that word have. It's not the future tense, will have. It's the present tense, have, right now. When you believe in Jesus, right now, you enjoy fellowship, nearness to God. When you believe in Jesus right now, you can rest in the favor of God. When you believe in Jesus right now, you have the power of his resurrection that makes you dead to your old way of life and alive to him. Have eternal life. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We've come to the end of the route and you're left at the end of it with one of two choices, to receive it or to reject it. There is no third road or option. The gift is offered to you today, friend. I urge you, receive it with the empty hands of faith. You can never afford what he has to offer, which is the good news is that he paid for it. So would you tell God, God, I confess that I haven't loved you as I should have. I confess that I've chosen my way over yours but I thank you that you loved me when I didn't love you. I trust your son, Jesus, that he's loved and obeyed you the way that I should have, but didn't, that he's taken what I deserve on the cross and that he rose again, defeating death and sin. God, Jesus is my only hope now and forever, and I give my life to him. If you haven't prayed that, if you, if you, haven't, given, if you haven't told that to God like that, there are people here who would love nothing more than to talk to you about that more and to pray with you today. If nothing else, my friend, may your first step be to take a book in the lobby that would help you maybe answer some questions that you might have. Just books are listed out there. Don't have to talk to anybody. Just take take one and, and leave. Come to the end of the route. Christian, what do you do with this? What are, what are your choices after you've been through John 3.16? Well, I think it, this verse echoes the same counsel that uh, Steve Perry, the lead singer of Journey, gives you. Don't stop believing. Again, stop and stare at that word, believes. It's not whoever believes one time. This belief is ongoing. It is a way of life. We live by faith in the Son of God. So John 3.16 might be a familiar route, but when you keep your eyes open, you will find that this route has endless side streets that you could get lost in. It reminds me a lot of Parma. When you don't know, as you, as you believe in Jesus, when you don't know on your journey whether or not God will take you back after you sin, when you worry about tomorrow, when you feel like you're not good enough, John 3.16 opens up to you the road of reassurance that God so loves the world that he gave his only son. When you're asleep at the wheel with your relationship with God, Keep your eyes open on this familiar route and you'll find that John 3.16 opens up roads that, give you, that take you deeper into God's heart. You can travel John 3.16 and then you can end up getting lost in God's self-giving love. Travel John 3.16, end up getting lost in God's wisdom that spans from eternity past to eternity future. Travel John 3.16 and get lost in how God's perfect love and mercy meet at the cross of his son. Travel John 3.16 and get lost at God's dazzling uniqueness that you will get to behold forever because you have eternal life.
Friend, you may have already received this gift of Jesus, but I pray this Christmas that you will know new ways that he is truly the gift that keeps on giving now and forevermore. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us first. God, thank you for not waiting for us to turn back to you. Thank you for pursuing us. That you would even pursue those who wanted nothing to do with you is is amazing in itself, but that you would die for those who want nothing to do with you. Amazing love. How can it be? We thank you so much, God. We, We want to continue to believe this good news of great joy that God so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son and that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Perhaps, God, would you lead people here who have not received and believed this gift, believed you, to do so today. And those who have, to keep believing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.